Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to today's Saja webcast, your chance to interact with fascinating speakers from across the country and around the world. Please stay tuned for our next session. Hello everyone, welcome to another Saja webcast. Today's topic is how Saja looks at the post-U.S. election world. Today we're going to have a terrific conversation with journalists and experts about what the U.S. elections and their aftermath mean for America in general and South Asian Americans. We have a terrific lineup for you, but first I want to introduce you to Saja's president, Anusha Srivastav. Hi, Anusha. Hi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for making the time to join the show where we'll talk about the challenges to reporting in the post-election world. Uh, we hope we have a great conversation and you send us lots of questions. Thanks, Anusha. Uh, Anusha works at Columbia University and is part of the Saja board with me. I'm Sri Srinivasan. I'm a Saja board member and the chief digital officer of New York City. Our Saja Vice President, Shafali Kulkarni of BBC News, is going to be leading us in this conversation. Hi, Chef. Hi, Shri. Hi, everyone. Thanks again for joining all of us. <laughs> and uh, you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yeah. our guests? We believe all of, our, all of them are now on, on board with us. Go ahead. Fantastic. I'm super excited to introduce everybody. Um, I'll start off with Manu Raju. He's, our, he's uh, CNN's. Uh, senior political reporter. He covers Capitol Hill, and he's been on the election campaign trail this this very, very long year. <laughs> uh, and uh, he is joining us. Manu? Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, and then next is Arun Venagopal. He's um, with WNYC, and he's actually been reporting lately for a podcast known as the United States of Anxiety. Uh, Arun, are you there? I am here. Great to be here. Hi. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, we have Sayu uh, Bojwani. Uh, she's the founder of the New American Leaders Project, which is uh, works to elect first and second generation candidates for office. Uh, Sayu, are you there? Yes, I am. Awesome. Glad to have you guys. And uh, finally, we have Congressman-elect Raja Krishnamurthy who has just won the 8th Congressional District race in Illinois. Congratulations, Congressman. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks, everybody, again, for joining. If you have questions um, and you're listening, please share them with us. We would love to pose them with our amazing group of guests here tonight. Uh, so just to kind of kick it off, I guess, um, Manu, I want to start with you. Uh, what uh, <laughs> What was kind of one of the biggest challenges I want to start off by asking about covering this election. Uh, you were at Politico, and now you're covering Capitol Hill. Um, what, what's kind of been the biggest challenge in the last year, and then kind of all leading up to November 8th? Well, I think it was the unpredictability of this election cycle. I mean, I, 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 you know, last October, last year around this time, uh, you know, Donald Trump was not really viewed uh, by the media and by the political establishment as a serious candidate. He was viewed as someone who had little chance of winning. Uh, and because of the proposals that he espoused on the campaign trail, uh, didn't seem like it would uh, really uh, cater to uh, a general public, uh, to the general public, to mainstream voters, to uh, voters who were not in the first two uh, primary and caucus states. Uh, but it turned out that he tapped into a movement that uh, I think a lot of uh, the press uh, didn't fully account for initially, uh, a movement that was very uh, frustrated uh, and uh, with the Republican leaders in Washington and Washington in general, uh, and that base helped give him the nomination. And then you fast forward into the general election, uh, poll after poll showed how he appeared to be losing this race and uh it was you know in in political reporting in a lot of ways relies uh heavily and 
some would say, too heavily uh, on polls, and polls suggested that he was going to lose this race both nationally and in the battleground states. Uh, and that turned out to be a real challenge because the polls did not accurately reflect who would come out to, uh, to vote on Election Day. And as a result, uh, a lot of people did not see this coming, and Donald Trump himself did not see this coming. It's just a, a really dramatic and surprising election year made it uh, difficult to kind of to, to assess the impact of a lot of things that he said on the campaign trail and whether it would come back to hurt him on election day. Definitely. I think this has been, uh, to say the least, an election full of surprises. I think uh, we're kind of doing this blog talk radio session now that the dust has settled, but I think now we're kind of, kind of stepping back and trying to assess what's happened uh, in the last year and a half. Um, Congressman, if I can kind of point to you talking about an election of surprises, really, um, you are the first Hindu Indian American congressman in American history, if, if I have that right. Uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty big deal. And actually, this is, if I'm not mistaken, this has been also a pretty big year for South Asians in Congress. I think there's about five or six that have been elected in, in this last, <laughs> since in November. Um, what what kind of what does that mean to you, and what, what you know what kind of impact does that have on on now you and your constituents, I guess? Well, first of all, thanks thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's 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 really been a uh, you know an incredible year, and uh, election night was jarring to say the least. We um, you know basically uh, ended up winning with. Uh, I think a 16 point margin in uh, a suburban uh, congressional district in Chicago. Um, And, and there was euphoria in our, in our, at our election night uh, celebration in a very large ballroom in a hotel in the suburb Mm -hmm. of Schaumburg. And then uh, people slowly turned to the, election uh, that was happening nationally and, and playing out on the large screen TVs and, yeah. uh, you know, jaws were starting to drop uh, to say the least. And, um, you know, I think the mood turned from euphoria to uh, a little bit of distress to, you know, people just going to the bar for a drink. Uh, they just <laughs> didn't know what was going on. And, um, but, you know, going to your point, for South Asians nationally, it was a watershed year because we have four South Asian Americans elected to the U.S. Congress. Uh, Kamala Harris was elected to the U.S. Senate. And mm-hmm. um, suddenly, um, uh, you know, we have really uh, made a mark uh, on the national scene. Um, there are two observations I have. Uh, one sure. is that... Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, quite frankly, the, the people of my state, Illinois, are just a really good kind of forward-thinking, open-minded people, and that showed obviously in the election of Barack Obama. Um, but it also shows that um, people of all different stripes can run for office and win. And I, I suspect that, um, you know, a lot of others are going to be running and winning in the years to come. And the second thing is it really showed um, Indian Americans and South Asian Americans in general um, have now coalesced uh, behind their candidates. Um, They are supplying them with not only resources, which um, Mm -hmm. which were present in the past, but also volunteers and votes. Um, we don't have the final statistics in my congressional district yet, but I think right. we had a record turnout uh, of South Asian voters. Um, you know, uh, I'm talking Indian Americans, Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Muslims, Hindus, you name it. They came mm-hmm. together um, for, a un- for a winning team, and um, I-, I hope that plays out in other places as well. Definitely. I think... Uh... I think it's an interesting point. I want to I want to just double check something. Is it's it's amazing the election results in Illinois. I, I think did they? I think it it did hit. Uh, Illinois voted for Trump as president. I mean you have uh, and you have your your win as uh, as in the eighth district. I think that's just it just speaks to the kind of diversity of votes that were out there this election. I think. Um, but um, I wanted to I wanted to 
turn to Soyu, if I could kind of ask you to talk a little bit about your organization, which kind of is trying to, if I have it right, promote first and second generation um, immigrants or, or to, to, to offices. Is that, do I have that right? Or can you tell us a little bit about it? Probably explain it a lot better than I can. <laughs> sure. um, so thanks for having me. Uh, I, um, I just want to, I'll say a little bit about the organization, but then I want to pick up on some of the points that the congressman made um, around the election of South Asians. So our organization uh, trains first and second generation Americans to run for public office. Most people run at the local and state level. Um, we have a state-based program, and, and, you know, I can go on and on about it, but what I'll say that's really critical for folks to know is that it's not a program that takes an existing model of campaigning and recruits immigrants to train them in that existing model. It's a program that really has designed uh, a training curriculum that emphasizes that immigrants bring particular assets to the political process. And I think that's important because of the moment that we're talking about, a moment in which Americans are saying, you know, we are we don't want the same old. We don't want you to dust off the old products off the shelves and dress them up for us. We really want something different and new. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's not a good thing. Um, I think it's very instructive uh, what the congressman mentioned about the kind of change that people are willing to um, embrace and that that can be very good for new American leaders. There were a number of historic firsts um, within the South Asian community, but also in the Asian American and Latino communities. Uh, and Pramila Jayapal, as some of you know, is the first Indian American woman ever elected to Congress. And right. I, I was doing the math, which in theory I'm supposed to be good at, but I'm not really. Um, I <laughs> think that's why we're all here. <laughs> With this election, I think that we now have South Asian and particularly Indian American representation at parity in Congress. So if we're 1.25% of the population and we now have five people in Congress, um, I think if that works out correctly, like we may be potentially the only group that has uh, representation at parity. And I think why that's important, um, and this is the last point I'll make for this moment, is that what happened, I've been drawing a lot of analogies between this moment and the post-September 11th moment, which um, mm -hmm. many communities, uh, you know, were experiencing kind of similar feelings of fear and uncertainty. Uh, and I think the big difference that for us in terms of congressional representation is that we now have, you know, five potential advocates on behalf mm -hmm. Of Asian community when it comes to things like registries and deportations and the like, there are five leaders who will really be able to be the public face of the community in a way that was not possible before, you know, right after September 11th. So I think it's not just the ethnicity, but it's what are these folks going to be able to do for communities that feel uh, under attack and marginalized. Right. No, that's, that's <clears throat> oh yeah, that's a great point. Um, it's, it's actually a great transition too because I wanted to bring in Arun, uh, who has been reporting on this interesting podcast from WNYC, uh, United States of Anxiety. Speaking of communities that are feeling under attack, uh, Arun, can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and maybe what kind of reporting you've been doing so that we can? I feel like that's definitely probably a big, big issue for for the reporting that you guys have been doing. Yeah, thanks, um, and it's great to be here with Sayu and Manu and uh, Raju, Raja. Um, <laughs> Not all and, of them are you, I know. I'm sorry? <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them end with you. I thought we were going to have continuity. Um, Apologies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, the, the United States of Anxiety was conceived, I guess, a little earlier this year. Um, the idea was to try to understand, I mean, I'm a race reporter, so for years I've spent most of my time talking to marginalized historically marginalized communities, um, this is the first time where I was asked, Could, can, you, can you reach out to, um, to white people? <laughs> and um, uh, there was, it was sort of an open question as to the extent to which, A, they would be willing to open up to me um, as, as a non-white person, but also whether they would open up to us as, an, as a news outlet. Um, but we did get uh, 
it, it ended up being a very rich, I think, exploration of um, white identity um, in, in, in the context of um, an America which is clearly diversifying very fast. Uh, uh, there were eight episodes. Uh, it was long-form narrative uh, journalism, and we spoke um, on an ongoing basis to a cast of white Trump voters in Suffolk County, which is in Long Island, um, and is essentially Long Island is like the first suburban, um, the first suburbs of America. This is where Levittown, um, which is like the the uh, this very famous legendary uh, suburban community that developed in in the post-war era. Um, came about, and um, it was sort of this idyllic place um, in the post-war era. Mm -hmm. um, but what's happened is we noticed that the voting patterns um, in the primaries especially were indicating uh, a lot of support for Trump. It was the second highest level of any county in New York State. Um, and despite having a lot of wealth, um, we wanted to understand why they were feeling this, um, you know, how they were feeling essentially. Um, and by and by, we realize that there is a, a high degree of um, kind of an instability that's felt there. Um, there has been sort of an, a trend towards underemployment. The white population is getting older, grayer, while mm -hmm. the non-white population, a lot of immigrants are coming in. Um, and uh, that that's led to a lot of friction. There was a notorious um, uh, hate crime killing of an undocumented uh, Ecuadorian man uh, several years ago. Uh, that right. got national attention, and uh, that was in Suffolk County. And there's also issues of um, things like local issues like property taxes, which are super high and very difficult um, and destabilizing, uh, make the cost of living really high. And then there's also this drug epidemic, which um, I don't think has really been quite understood, although it's very um, – it's got a lot of press in and of itself. The heroin and opiate epidemic has not really been understood uh, fully for how it informs our politics and and I think the Trump phenomenon specifically, but it's a big mm -hmm. deal. Um, and so uh, this is what I've been doing for the last few months. And I think what was satisfying about doing that it's very different from doing the kind of reporting that um, other <laughs> political reporters do, which is they're on the front lines of this race, which is this incredible crazy race. And we were really the candidates were and Trump specifically were not really ever present in our reporting. They were kind of in the background, whereas it was more about the mm -hmm. lives of these people who are clearly turning to something. Maybe it's a Hail Mary pass the way they see it, but they, they're looking for something to change the norm. And, and, and Donald Trump was, for many of them, the only candidate who offered that. Um, and, uh, but what was satisfying was, you know, this is an NPR public radio audience, and for a lot of these people, even people who um, were upset about the election and, and the fact that Trump won, they found it to some extent demystifying um, that we were mm -hmm. going deep into the lives of these people um, and, I guess, humanizing them to an extent. Um, that was sort of the primary job is what what is the issue here? And, and I think that it, it did uh, point to the fact that the media had not necessarily been doing that um, in the year, last year, year and a half. So, um, sure. yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, that's a really interesting point. I think we'll definitely touch up on on the idea of like the media's role in this election. I think that's been a big question for a lot of our members when when we were kind of trying to formulate this blog talk session. Um, speaking of questions, also we actually have a question from uh, a listener. Thank you so much for submitting this. Uh, Rahul asks. And this question is for, um, sorry, this question is for Congressman uh, Raja uh, Krishnamurthy. Um, he, Rahul's asking you, how can South Asians help him and how can he help South Asians uh, in the country? I, I hope <laughs> speaking specifically to the U.S. Uh, South Asian population. Um, before you answer that, Congressman, if, uh, I just want to kind of give a shout out. If anybody else has any questions that they'd like to ask us, feel free to email saja at columbia.edu or you can dial in it's uh 646-787-1715 and then you hit the number one and then we'll we'll bring you in and have you join our conversation here um so congressman sorry about that i just want to give a little shout out there but yeah so how how about the uh, south asian uh constituents how can they help you and how can you help them uh, um <laughs> Well, it, 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 it's funny you, you mentioned that because there's actually a large 
concentration of South Asian Americans within my uh, congressional district, the 8th Congressional that's, District yeah. of Illinois. That's um, true. I went to college near there, so that's why I'm like, I know oh, that. Oh, did you? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're familiar uh, with uh, Schaumburg and, and Hoffman Estates and all those areas. Just as an yes, anecdote, I've gotten lost um, on many of those freeways. <laughs> yeah, you've caught, you know, by, you know there, there are a lot of freeways there and so forth. But um, just as an anecdote, just to give you a sense of the concentration over there, Schaumburg, um, in, in Schaumburg, my son, uh, we have three kids, and, and my oldest son is on a basketball team. He's 11, and uh, of the eight people on the team, uh, five of them are South Asian, and both coaches are South Asian. And so someone came up to me the other day and said, Raja, that team must be very bad. And... Uh, <laughs> And I said, no, you don't understand. It's you know, it looked the entire all the other teams look the same, and and so it's very fair and balanced, like Fox News. Um, and so, uh, you know, that that just gives you a sense of of Schaumburg, which is now thirty percent South Asian, just that that town, wow. that village of Schaumburg. Um, so really, the going to the question, um, what can uh, I do for South Asians, um, you know, a lot of the issues that they face are very similar to the ones that everyone else in my constituency faces, right? The 800,000 people or so. Um, mm-hmm. But there are certain issues now that have crept up that I need to stand with them very firmly on. So, for instance, uh, there has been um, an uptick in fear uh, coming yeah. out of the election. Um based on folks' uh, religious and ethnic identity. Um, People are concerned about immigration issues in general. Um, And, um, you know, overall, I think that um, people that I speak to, you know, uh, uh, want some reassurance that, you know, the, the, the bedrock values that make America exceptional in my opinion, um, Mm -hmm. ones of tolerance and inclusion and diversity and so forth, um, are, are going to be, are going to remain strong going forward. So I have to, um, uh, continue to stand up for that. And, um, that's what I'm doing. Um, now, uh, with regard to what they can do for me, I think the most important thing that they can do for all of us um, is mm-hmm. is really um, exercise their right to vote and participate fully in the civic and political life of America, um, including in my district. Um, I told you that in the village of Schaumburg, 30% of the population is now South Asian. Mm-hmm. However, the mayor of Schaumburg recently told me that he could not get a single South Asian American to serve as a volunteer a uh, member of a border commission within within the town mm-hmm. and and i think I think quite frankly, I think the reason is that people are so busy and wrapped up in their own lives and their businesses and professions and families they they haven't found time to carve out for activities such as this. but what I've mm-hmm. told people is that you have to take your um, place at at the table, so to speak, with regard to the civic and political life of our country, because if you don't take your place at the table, you're going to end up on the menu. And uh, <laughs> that's what every immigrant group in this country has, has learned. And, 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 and that's why every immigrant group as part of its assimilation process has also um, found its political voice and really, um, you know, filled uh, roles in Congress and state legislatures, city councils, and so forth. And um, sure. that's what we have to do as well. That makes sense. I think uh, I think there's been a, a lot of talk about that as well, especially with some of the concerns that you had mentioned within, within Schomburg itself, um, you know, concerns especially post-election about being targeted and whatnot. Um, we have another question, and I want to just uh, kind of remind everyone we're going to try to wrap up in the next, like, eight, five to eight minutes. So, um, uh, Sayu, this question is actually for you. Um, we have somebody asking, what should we do if the Muslim registry happens? There's been a lot of talk of that from 
um, President-elect Trump, uh, both when he was, I think, running and then now, uh, now that he is officially going to be the next president. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You worked uh, as uh, New York City's first immigrant affairs commissioner, so I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, that is such a difficult question. It's, it's yeah. the one that I have been um, really grappling with and, and, and voicing to people because peop- what will happen is that community members are going to come to those of us who are, you know, considered leaders in the community for advice. And this is what happened in September 11. And so mm-hmm. you're put in this very awkward um, position uh, and difficult position of providing, well, first of all, there's no such thing as the right thing in this in this situation because you <laughs> are undocumented. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I think there's going to be lots of layers the special registry in, in 2002 um, was very specific. It was males over the age of 16. It was 25 countries, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. this case, we don't really know what are they going to be looking for. Um, and, um, and I think people are going to have to make really difficult individual choices. A lot of families uh, broke up as a result, you know, where the males who were undocumented left the country, um, mm-hmm. and I think families are still recovering from those wounds. And and I just think, I mean, I don't, I wish I had a better answer, but I think it's good. No, no. I think what we need to try to do um, and uh, in the next few weeks that there is still an Obama administration is to try to get them to dismantle the the registry as it currently exists because right now it's not active but the mechanics still exist so there's no countries on the list if I understand it correctly but if you so if we were able to dismantle it at least the mechanics would take some time to redevelop I mean I don't think it's going to take that long but it delays things somewhat you know and and then I mean it's ridiculous that we're having this conversation you know but. That's really what we're what we're sort of um, what we're reduced yeah. by, I suppose. You know, I think there's been a lot of unknowns in this election. I mean, even covering this um, with my work as well, there's been times where we hear one thing and we're like, okay, let's report on this, and then we have to take a take a second, breathe for a second, and then say like, wait, is this actually something we need to report on? Is this actually something that's happening? And I think Secretary of State position is probably the best thing we can all think of as one of those things where. Or like it's gonna be this guy or this guy or maybe this person. We've kind of been spinning around in all different directions. Um, Manu, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of speaking of that, I wanted to kind of ask another question for you. Uh, we have somebody asking about kind of the media's role in this, and I, I think about kind of the, the ambiguity of of what this election has been about. So um, we have a question. Somebody asking should CNN and other media outlets kind of Oh, an apology or something for being so wrong about this election, and um, you know it stings a bit. But it's one of those things where I think we were, you know, and maybe you can clarify this a bit. But we were kind of all caught off guard with a lot of issues, especially in, lead, in the lead up to the election, polling kind of swaying us one way, and then it, the election turning out in a totally different result. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You've been on the front lines, kind of covering the campaign. Um, you know, and you're kind of out there talking to people who are at possibly all these rallies and things like that. Is there some sort of thing where it's like, you know, a stunned shock in the newsrooms or is it like, you know, you just kind of pick up, move on, keep reporting as best as we can? <laughs> well, I think you have to assess what went wrong in in your in uh, the assessment of the election. And I don't, you know, in, in, de- in determine what makes sense and um, reporting going forward. Uh, the, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, it, it, the, you know, political reporting these days, when you assess uh, the landscape of a race, has, uh, in the large part, is relying on, on public opinion, and how you get public opinion is through pollsters uh, who mm-hmm. uh, test the views of the American electorate, um, and um, and and. <clears throat> In the can candidates do that too? Politicians uh, certainly do that too. Uh, and you know we all uh, had it wrong because it was uh, it was. I don't want to blame it all on the pollsters, but 
that was, you know, the media's fault certainly for relying too much on polls, but there's, there's a harder uh, house are you going to gauge how a, a race is turning uh, other than polls? I mean, you could get anecdotal evidence uh, on the ground by talking to voters, but that's not a representative sample of how uh, the larger public uh, is feeling, or particularly in, in key swing states. So, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in that regard, I, there, I, there's, I don't think there's, you know, there just needs to be a better way to assess uh, figuring out, you know, who's going to come out to the polls on election day. Uh, but this was such a uh, a race that was uh, so uh, it changed so rapidly. I mean, you you went mm-hmm. from in a, a period in October uh, in which Donald Trump's campaign was. It looked like it was imploding. The actor mm-hmm. Hollywood tape came out. He had three bad debate performances. Uh, the polls did show Hillary Clinton running away with it. Uh, the party, the Republican Party, was in turmoil. Uh, and then things turned uh, uh, around for Trump. The WikiLeaks emails kept drip, 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 hurting Clinton mm-hmm. here and there. She was uh, off message. And then the Comey letter hit her hard late in the campaigns and took her completely off message. So, you know, this was a, a, a one of the challenges you getting back to your first question and reporting this campaign is that there were so much, so many developments, so many things happening quickly, a lot of erroneous claims by, uh, by, by Donald Trump that were, mm-hmm. that the media did call him out on uh, repeatedly, but uh, there were many of them. So, it was, it, you know, <laughs> it was hard to, for a lot of voters to keep up with. Um, so, uh, it was a very fast-moving election cycle, a lot of developments, and uh, and people were surprised by it because uh, the assessments from the pollsters uh, and the media, too, was that it looked like Hillary Clinton uh, had this, uh, at least was likely going to win. So it was a surprise yeah. on all fronts, but certainly I, I don't, I'm not an, I'm an apologist for the media. There are definitely <laughs> things that we could do better. I, I think I think that would be a first if I if I heard any of us be like, yeah, of course, sorry, we really threw the pooch on this. But I don't think that was, I was going to say I was I'd be surprised if that happened. But um, Arun, same question kind of to you in that regard. You were saying you're reporting with the with the podcast United States of Anxiety, which we can definitely share a link to um, in the comments. Uh, but uh, you know, you you guys were kind of talking more to as you mentioned earlier, you weren't really talking about like Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton right away. It was more like we're talking to people, we're talking to kind of everyday voters here and there, going to suburbs and counties like that. Um, was it was it kind of a, a, a kind of a tailspin for you as well? Was there like this idea of like, well, the people are saying this, but the politicians are saying this, or you know, I mean, was there... the problem the problem whenever you talk to people, I mean, is they may you know any one person you know, may want their candidate and feel completely confident that, you know, I certainly had um, Trump supporters I was speaking to who were super confident, but whether you can never distinguish confidence from bluster, right? Because they're all, you know, everybody's like, you know, yes, our people, everybody I know is going to vote for my candidate, that kind of a thing. Uh, and until it happens, uh, you have no way of assessing, you know, whether it's, it's just they're kind of shilling, you know, for uh, for for their guy or, or or if they know something you actually don't know. You know, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, after the election, it's kind of like, wait, how how did the media get it wrong? And you know, we're looking in a thousand different directions. Some of it has to do with these freakish things like fake news, possibly. You know, and it has to do with like this relatively silent kind of like you know um, population of voters who you know were going to be making sense of that for a long time. Um, but I do think that, um, you know, there, this is, we're talking about a huge demographic crisis that we're going through right now. And that's going to take years for us, for us to understand. Uh, uh, we are talking about a population, um, especially of white voters. Obviously it's not just people, people who are white, white who voted for Donald Trump, but there are a lot of people who are feeling a great deal of anxiety about cultural change in this country. I think they're, we're going to, we're trying to figure out to what extent does that, uh, are they embracing that cultural change, um, and to what extent does it feel like it's a zero-sum game where they're, they're, the gains of, you know, diverse America, not you know, people of color, are coming at their expense? Um, you know, that's not something you can just kind of blow off. And I think that some people mm-hmm. uh, prior to this election might have blown that off and said, like, you know what, just get in line. Like, this is just the way it is. Progress <laughs> is going this way. And I think elites are now kind of chastened in that regard, uh, and progressives uh, – I mean, and uh, 
So a lot of this is, you know, it's certainly scrambling. As a race reporter, I'm hearing a lot of people who are also other, you know, race analysts and, you know, community, talking to people, communities of color and stuff like that. And a lot of them are really, they're certainly um, disoriented by, by what's happening, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to reconcile um, genuine, legitimate grievances um, with, you know, with some of the really scary, alarmist rhetoric we're hearing from, uh, you know, Donald Trump and his supporters. And it's hard to figure out how, you, when you're supposed to reach across the aisle, and when you're supposed to, um, you know, prepare yourself for um, for real problems. Sure, I think um, so. We're kind of coming to an end here, and I want to. Um... I kind of want to wrap up by probably asking each of you, if you don't mind, um, the reason why, like, as, as Shri had mentioned earlier in this, in this blog talk radio, we have done a blog talk radio session every election. I think there were some members, uh, Saja members, who were genuinely asking for this kind of session, possibly because they just had a lot of questions that they needed answers to. We got some of those questions in. But um, I'm curious to see if maybe you could give maybe a piece of advice or some sort of a um, – Kind of a kind of a I don't know tip I guess to to South Asian journalists who are out there. Some of us are here in this session <laughs> um, uh, about this election and kind of now that the dust has settled, the aftermath and in terms of reporting it, in terms of digesting the news that's coming out of it. Um, perhaps maybe I could start with you, Congressman, if uh, if you know if you could tell South Asian journalists out there kind of one piece of advice post-election. Uh, what would it be? Stay tuned. Uh, I think that uh, <laughs> the the news has just begun. The news, the next news cycles have just begun. I think that the interesting thing to me, look, I I I'm I'm actually calling you from Washington D.C. today. So um, uh, as I talk to people, I think that um, with regard to Donald Trump, the one one thing people agree about with Donald Trump is that he doesn't stand for anything in terms of principles or values or a consistent set of, um, you know, ideological um, messages. Um, It seems like the only thing he stands for is himself. And, um, you know, in that type of situation, and given the fact that the guy is a deal maker, um, there's a a greater than 50% chance that he's going to be cutting deals. when he comes into power next year and the people with whom he cuts deals um, uh, could be Republicans, could be Democrats. And uh, we could see some, um, you know, interesting uh, bedfellows emerge uh, in the coming year. Hopefully uh, if he can lower his, the tone of his rhetoric and the temperature of his rhetoric, uh, you know, we may be able to get something done uh, to help working working families and uh, at the same time we have to resist you know the the uh, the tendency that we are also emerging from the alt-right and others who feel emboldened by his election so uh, there's going to be an interesting uh, dichotomy of um, kind of uh, uh, experiences that we might see this coming year definitely um Manu, if I could if I could pose it to you, like you said, uh, I think before we went live, that you have a pretty hectic schedule coming up in the next few months. We have inauguration in January. Um, any kind of tip or advice for those digesting the news or or actually reporting the news? I mean, on how to how to next kind of take in this this election aftermath. Um, yeah, I think it will be absolutely chaotic. Uh, I think that for folks uh, <laughs> reporting the news. Uh, particularly the political news, I mean, and uh, the impact that it has, uh, policies in Washington have on on, on regular uh, folks in the country and around the world. Uh, our job as journalists is to hold politicians on both sides uh, accountable for what they say on the campaign trail and then what they do in Washington. Uh, and that will be certainly the case uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, it's certainly the case for uh, members of Congress as well. Um, and I think that, um, as the congressman-elect said, that uh, we don't know where Donald Trump stands on a lot of key issues. Uh, we, we, we know that he said a lot of things on the campaign trail, and 
when he deviates from those, our job uh, is to call him out on that. And maybe it will be deal-making, pragmatism, and so forth. But, um, you know, our job is to make it clear uh, to voters uh, about uh, what uh, the person in office uh, is doing in Washington uh, versus what they say on the campaign trail. Because what we know is that viewers uh, and readers, uh, there are fewer of them. Uh, in non-election years, uh, more people pay attention to the election years, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, so we and they, people kind of tune out Washington. They think it's just a big noise, big mess. Uh, no one really, you know. And then they maybe tune in here and there. I mean, the average folks, uh, not everybody, of course. Uh, and so our job is to, to to shine a light about what's really happening uh, in mm-hmm. in Washington and explain that to why this impacts. Uh, regular people, ordinary people's lives and, and what people are actually doing uh, and how that compares to what they promised people uh, back home. So there's going to be a lot to cover with the new Congress, uh, even if Republicans have control of both chambers and the White House. It's not going to be easy for them to get everything through. They need a lot of support, uh, bipartisan support in the Senate to get stuff through, uh, and that's going to be a challenge. And uh, there are a lot of different factions within the Republican Party, which will make it hard to maintain unity. So uh, it's going to be a lot. Uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, four years. It'll be an interesting uh, 100 days, and it'll be an interesting first two years before the first midterms uh, of Donald Trump's presidency. So a lot to cover and a lot to unpack for voters and viewers. Definitely, and I know it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite a busy few months at, at the very least. Like you said, the next hundred days are going to be pretty pretty much on everybody's radar. Um, if you if you do have to go, uh, I totally understand. Um, and and I, but I do want to also chat with uh, so you kind of your thoughts on on you know how folks should tackle the next few the next hundred days the next the next few months coming up with this election with post election so what are your thoughts kind of on how folks should take in what's what's happened on on the election day and some people might be happy I do feel like I want to make that a point too that this isn't necessarily like a tragic day November 8th wasn't like a very horrifying thing for everybody we had um, coverage also in in the media here at my newsroom as well about uh, Hindus and Muslims and other South Asians, especially, who are very much supportive of Trump. So um, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts, Ben, for <laughs> you on that. Sure. So um, I, I think a couple of things. One um, is specific and one maybe more general. And the specific thing is, I think, because there is so much uncertainty and so much kind of conflicting information out there, I think there's room for stories about that sort of demystify certain processes, like what does it actually take to um, to really get a registry up and running, for example, and what could that mean? I mean, it, you know, I think the risk you run is creating more anxiety, but, um, but if there's a way to be able to really uh, and, and even very basic things about how government works, I think people really don't understand, uh, you know, he, on the good end, both good and bad of that, right? Like if Trump says mm-hmm. he's going to do this and people believe it, um, but in fact it's going to take all these steps to get it done. And and so I feel like we all need a little bit of Civics 101 mm-hmm. and American Democracy 101. Uh, to, and that, I think, is targeted on the one hand, um, particularly at people who might be experiencing a lot of anxiety. But I think uh, the other side of that is also thinking about the language. And I don't know for sure if you can do this as journalists, but I think that, you know, being able to talk about things like um, in, in language that appeals to um, to both conservatives, to conservatives as well. Like, for example, the registry, because the registry didn't uncover anyone who's a terrorist, it's a waste of government money. You know, like, I, I think, I mean, I know that's a position, but I think if there's a way to talk about things in language that um, that a broad section of the American public can relate to, um, or at least the segment that we want to kind of get people to to understand the complexity and the wastefulness and the bureaucracy that goes into it. So if that makes any sense, you know, some sort of very specific articles um, or coverage mm-hmm. around demystification, right? And then more generally, though, I would say um, that my experience of September 11th was that there was there was a lot of kind of, and many of you will remember this, that there's a kind of um, 
jingoism and patriotism that took over even um, news coverage. And, and so I think that there is a responsibility that we have, um, and, and I think Manu was sort of um, talking about this as well, that, you know, um, not talking about how do we relate these ideas to people and their lives. And, and mm-hmm. a responsibility that we have as South Asians who um, are connected to these communities to be able to kind of be a bit more vigilant in our in 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 the newsrooms and in any space that we're in to not make any of this start to seem normal and that really does i mean we all i'm already exhausted and it's only two weeks in right from the fight <laughs> yeah. and so i think that there is a moment where you're just like tired of of constantly fighting whether there are you know, us in the community or editors or whatever, um, because I do think it will matter after a while. It will start to become normative. It's going to be like, oh, God, here's the next thing, or oh, goodness, we don't know what that actually means. But I think we, we really, um, vigilance is, is particularly important because it was kind of the lack of vigilance that made us get to this point in the first place, you know? That's a good point. Yeah, I think that's something to, to definitely think about. I think, uh, you know, when, we, when we've when we heard in the terms of election coverage, people kind of tuning out because there's just so much happening, whether it's news coverage or things on social media. I was covering the election personally from, like, social perspective, which was just as doubly exhausting. I got to tell you, trolls are not my favorite thing in the entire world. I, <laughs> I have eye twitch now. But, um, Arun, I want to throw it to you as well. I mean, uh, kind of piggybacking off of what so you had mentioned in terms of, like, exhaustion and anxiety that people are going to feel how what are your thoughts especially again you were kind of covering it from more the human actual voter perspective is there some sort of piece of advice you'd give to folks who are you know now taking a deep breath and diving in headfirst to this election to this new presidency i guess well if we're talking to um other journalists uh, members of saja i think uh you know this is certainly uh an anxious time for a lot of people. Uh, I think uh, as journalists, we have to be vigilant, um, you know, about our own safety. Um, There are certain things that people need to do, um, depending, of course, on the kind of work they do, just to take care of themselves and to be in touch with people um, and and to err on the side of caution um, in their work. Um, um, I think it's also that said, this is an extraordinary time to be a journalist, uh, even though I think a lot of journalists are really um, maybe having sort of an ex- sort of a uh, an existential crisis about what they do. I think uh, I've heard I heard that for a lot of people, and it's not something that is, um, you know, um, uh, it's a serious issue. You know, what is the function? What is what is it we do, and what role does that serve? Um, uh, given the nature of media now it's it's a serious concern to have but it is an extraordinary time to be a journalist because of what money said earlier in terms about um, being there um, speaking truth to power holding uh, people accountable um, you know acknowledging uh, wrongs that are committed they're happening all around us and so I think all of us it, it, it even if you're not if you don't necessarily have the biggest platform there's still things to be done and social media amplifies your your ability to do that I think as South Asians um, uh, to to add to what the congressman was saying earlier in terms of trying to become more civically engaged, I've recently become a member, a board member of SADA, the South Asian American Digital Archive, um, which which helps um, tell the stories of of South Asian history um, well before 1965, um, when most of us, um, you know, uh, you know, trace our roots in this country. I think there's sort of an ahistorical quality to the way we sort of see our presence in this country, and I think. Um, Especially if we're, you know, members of wealthier um, communities, uh, which have been benefited from the civil rights movement in ways that we don't necessarily understand, it's important for us to be more intellectually aware uh, of what happened um, uh, leading up to, the, you know, 1965 and how we fit into this, you know, historical, uh, you know, this narrative and and to use um, our platforms um, and the influence we may have as journalists or as members of relatively um, uh, affluent communities to, to help shine a light on what's happening in other corners of, our, of South Asian diasporas, but also uh, other communities of color, which, which, need to, which are really looking for a solidarity right now. And, uh, and for us not to think of ourselves as separate from that, but, but you know, really um, a part of that 
part of that story. And uh, um, I wrote about this in India Abroad last week, just saying, like, you know, people, we need to be much more educated about our own histories here and uh, and and essentially um, see how we align with other communities of color and um, and at this moment of time and, and, and historically, if that makes sense. Um, so if, you have, if you're not familiar with SADA, the South Asian American South Asian American Digital Archive. I do recommend you, 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 um, you know, you look it up. Uh, they're always looking for people to write for it as well. Journalists, we, we could definitely use your help. Um, Saja, you know, I'm a long-term, long-time, uh, you know, member or you know, participant, and I think it, this is really when Saja needs to step be stepping up, um, uh, using his platform on a regular, weekly basis. Events like you know, moments like this, but also just on social media. Um, and I think it's really important that, you know, we, we sort of like to make the most use of our, uh, you know, our influence, our, um, our reach, uh, political power, all those kinds of things, because we are heading into a very uncertain time. Definitely. Right. So, well, folks, uh, we're at the end of our conversation. I want to thank <laughs> uh, Shefali Kulkarni of BBC News for hosting the conversation. Thank you so much, uh, Shefali. I'd like to thank our guests. Uh, they have been Congressman-elect Raja Krishnamurti. So wonderful to say that, Congressman, if you're still with us. Thank you so much, and congratulations on winning from the 8th Congressional District in Illinois. Uh, please follow him, Raja, for Congress. Now what do we do? Are you going to be changing your handle, Raja, in Congress? <laughs> <laughs> Raja is Congress. Raja is Congress. <laughs> uh, Good luck, uh, uh, good luck, Congressman-elect, and we look forward to uh, talking Appreciate to you in the future. Uh, we're also joined Thanks. by Sayu Bojwani, founder of the New American Leaders Project. You can follow her at Sayu Bojwani. Sayu, thank you so much for being with us and joining us. on. I know it's a very busy uh, Monday night right after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Sri. I'm happy to okay. be available. Thank you. And Arun, thank you for uh, being with us, and good luck. We think the sure, United thanks. States of Anxiety is a good title for a continued pro- podcast going forward, so wish you luck I with agree. that. <laughs> and Manu Raju, we, you're a constant presence all through this campaign on, on <laughs> CNN, and we look forward to uh, watching you as you cover the Hill and all the uh, goings-on there in the next uh, few months. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. Uh, thanks very much, everyone. This was uh, a chance for us to hear from leading experts, and we thank you very much, everyone, uh, for joining us. And uh, please keep in touch, and please get involved with Saja, saja.org, and please uh, do sign up for membership, and also vote if you are a Saja member. We are having our elections right now. Thanks very much, everybody. Bye-bye. You've been listening to a Saja webcast. You can catch all our activities at saja.org and sajaforum.org. Our email is saja at columbia.edu. We'll leave you with the musical stylings of Cooper Madison of coopermadison.com. <laughs>